We just want, I just want to pick up on the verse that was used in that spoken word uh, presentation, John 11.35. Uh, two simple words that are in most of the translations of our scriptures, remembering that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But we've got to ask ourselves, first of all, what is the context in what has uh, occurred to take the uh, Son of God, Jesus, our Savior, to the point of, of weeping? Well, somebody has died. And I don't know whether you have had the experience, as I have had the experience, of somebody that you know has, has died. And very often, it's be, the, 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 the enormity of the emotion is, is relative to the individual and who they are and what they meant to you, whether it's a mum or a dad or a husband or, or a wife or, or a sibling. Maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's somebody that you've known through work or through your uh, times of recreation. They are no longer here. And you feel a sadness, a mourning. That's what happens. We have over this time, uh, this period of time where we have uh, this COVID pandemic have been in some way heightened in our awareness that life um, is fragile. You know, when every day the... TV reports the number of people who have died from this awful uh, pandemic. Death comes. Death impacts us. Death affects us. Death leaves its mark on us. And here in the seventh of Jesus' miracles in the book of John, John's uh, is helping us to get a picture of who Jesus is and, and, and what he is here for. And it starts with a wedding where he turns water into wine. And the last of his miracles is the miracle we're looking at here, where he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to look at uh, three things this morning. We're going to be looking at, I'm pressing the button, Uh, probably need, oh, now did you do that, James? Yeah. You did, okay. When I look like I'm pressing the button, that means can you press a button, okay? I think this probably needs battery, I don't know, okay. So we're going to look at um, the man who Jesus loved, we're going to look at the morning that uh, impacted on Jesus, and we're going to look at the miracle that he performed, I, I never ever thought about it really, but um, I'd always associated that Jesus' uh, companions, Jesus' friends were those 12 disciples that he gathered around him and, and journeyed with. And I didn't really think much about the fact that maybe he had more friends. I don't know how you're doing on the uh, friend uh, list, how many friends you have, how many people that you would classify as friends, or maybe people classify you as a friend. And I never thought to myself, well, Jesus would have friends, people who um, were his supporters, his encouragers, that weren't part of the 12 disciples. And in John chapter 11, we're introduced to two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, 
whose name is Lazarus. And uh, it's really interesting. Names are really important. We've spoken about that in the past, how important names are. Lazarus means God helps. And how true that is when we come to find out how God steps in um, a few verses later on. But it starts off in uh, John chapter 11 with uh, a piece of information that comes. And the information is this. One or the one that you love is sick. So word is getting to Jesus from the sisters of Lazarus that the one that you love is sick. I love this, the fact that John the Beloved talks about him being the disciple whom Jesus loved. And therefore you've got the, Jesus, the, the disciple that Jesus loved writing now about another person. And the person that he's writing about is one who is acknowledged as the one whom Jesus loved. So Jesus had these relationships. Lazarus is unwell. The message goes out to Jesus that the one he loves is in need of assistance. It says in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said that his sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Well, the thing about it is, it's all right for us because we know exactly how the story ends. We know here at verse 4, in 31 verses, or 32, 33, anyhow, a little bit further on in John 11, there is a call being made and out of the grave will come walking the one who dies. But that's not the context and that's not the case for those who are listening early on in the story. So the word is out. The sickness, Jesus says, is not going to end in death. But the call is, Jesus, come home. Jesus, come back to Bethany. Now, Bethany is a place that uh, Jesus often frequented. It's a place, it seems, of rest. It's a place of, of refreshing. But the other thing about Bethany is that it's right in the middle of the place where the most hostility happened in Jesus's life. All of the angst seemed to happen in that area just west of Jerusalem. And this is something that the disciples decided that uh, Jesus needed to remember. In verse 5 on our next slide it says this, that uh, Rabbi, say the, I'm pressing the button, there we go, says the disciples, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you are going back which is really interesting, isn't it? Because this is the place where ultimately Jesus will be arrested, where he will be sentenced, and where he will be put to death. And the question is of the disciples, are you, are you really going to go back to this place? Are you really going to go back to this place of hostility where everything is going to be against you? And for me, it just reminds me that, do you know what? Jesus isn't frightened to go to difficult places. Jesus isn't frightened about uh, being the one who crosses the border. 
And I don't know how many times I've heard stories of missionaries who want to take the good news of the love of God into places that are hostile. Yet every time they say, you know, we are going to this place, we are taking the good news of Jesus, we are taking the love of God. But what they also say is, and it's not that we take Jesus with us, we know that Jesus has gone before us. He's not frightened of being in hostile places. He's not frightened of being in difficult situations. And when you find yourself in a difficult situation, just remember, he's there, just as He's here in Bethany. Well, heading that way. His life is under threat. But Jesus has something that he wants to share with his followers that will enlighten them. The next verse that we're looking at, he answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. What Jesus is talking about here is that uh, my time is short. I realize my time is short. I will be taken away from you and you will not in the flesh, as it were, see me again. Therefore, because my time is short, we've got to move in the light. And we've got to get going now. And the truth of the matter is that he is the light He is the light of the world. And he is going to step into a situation and totally transform it. In verse 11, he wants people to realize that he has insight into the situation anyway. Uh, You know, Lazarus is unwell. Lazarus, well, this is what happens next. After he said this to them, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. Falling asleep, it's a term that's used a lot in Scripture, referencing dying. And there's this sort of uh, feeling amongst the disciples of falling asleep. He's having a kip. Is he having a kip? Or is there a, a, a deeper significance in this? The word cemetery means a place of sleeping. It's not a place that's meant to be a place that is the end. It's meant to be a place of transition. We sleep and then we are raised again. For the disciples, it seems that Jesus needed to make things a little bit clear. Verse 14, he says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. This is what we get to. He's He's actually dead. So what we're going into, the situation we're going to, is going to be quite desperate. But it seems that Jesus isn't in a hurry. He's delaying time and time again. Verse 15 picks up on this and says that, uh, I am holding back, as it was, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there to find out that Lazarus was dead. I was not there so that you may believe. There's something they're going to learn in this last miracle in John's gospel that they need to see. And they need to see it firsthand. Because what they're about to witness is going to be the platform of everything that they do when Jesus leaves. I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you might believe. So they travel to Bethany a bit late, maybe. 
in world terms. But in verse 17, it says this, that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was indeed already been in the tomb for four days. There is an understanding at this time in history and amongst the people, the Jews at this time, was that we, we bury the person quickly. And the spirit, the soul, or whatever, how you describe it, will leave after three days. So now, as Jesus comes in on the scene on the fourth day, we're talking about Lazarus is well and truly dead. Jesus has turned up too late. Lazarus is no more. And then the morning starts. This is the the next point here. This is the morning that Jesus did. As he arrives in Bethany, you know, uh, Martha goes out to meet him. She says this in verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't think it was an accusation. I think it was just, just a statement of how she was feeling. My brother, who's no longer here. Do you know, if you'd have been here, I'm not getting at you, Jesus. But he wouldn't have died. And somehow, even in her words, there's a little bit of hope that this thing can turn around. She says in verse 22, relating to the knowledge that she has between Jesus, the Son of God, and his heavenly Father. She says this here, but I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. So even though I'm saying my brother's dead, that I'm saying time has passed too far, I'd still believe that there is something that you can do. And I love that Jesus' response in verse 23 is so clear. He says straight away that your brother will rise again. Now, Martha sort of thinks in her head, yeah, I know he will rise again um, because there's going to be a resurrection in the end. And she may be thinking back to a text like Daniel chapter 12. In Daniel chapter 12, it says this. For many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake. It goes on further, but there's those who have sleeping. Those who fall asleep, they will awake. And Martha may be thinking to herself, this is what is going to happen. But Jesus flips this around in verse 25 and uses the words that I have used many hundreds of times in funeral services where Jesus says these words he says that I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die yet shall he live those are the words that I say something can turn around what he's saying very clearly is that if you are a believer you never die your heart may stop beating here on earth but you are alive. I believe it was John Wesley, one of the the founders of Methodism, who was on his deathbed. Well, he was very, very sick. And and he called those people around him. And, uh, you know, it's these deathbed words that are so important. And he said something along the lines, I believe it was him who said something like this, one day you will open the newspaper and you will see that John Wesley has died. That will be a lie. For the moment my heart stops beating, I will be more alive than I've ever been. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Verse 26, you know, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? If you believe in Christ alone, with faith alone, you will never be alone because there is a promise of eternity. Martha's response is yes. I believe her response is yes. I do. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. He who is to come into the world. He is the Christ. And then just as Martha gets it in her head that something fantastic's happening, then Mary comes in on the scene. Mary comes in and she starts her side of things. The first thing that happens with Mary, of course, is that she falls down on her face before Jesus. It says these words, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Almost the same words as Martha had said. But this time, the way that she approaches is in homage. She bows down at his feet, recognizing that he is the one who holds the answer. So Mary says, if only, if only you'd been here, he would not have died. This is what John says in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was troubled, deeply moved in his spirit. That sense of being troubled. Here in the midst of a crowd, because crowds used to gather at funerals. They used to love to come and uh, I suppose in a sense honor the one who died. But they used to make a big deal of grieving. And there was this moaning and this crying. And even if you had very few uh, friends or relatives to come, you could actually hire in professional mourners who would cry in the wake. And in the midst of all of this, Mary finds herself on her face in worship, but also seeking an answer from Jesus himself. Death has stepped in, but Jesus is following close behind. There's a question in verse 34. He asked the question, you know, where have they laid him? I don't know if you realize that those are the same words that are asked when people are looking for Jesus after he has been crucified. Where have they laid him? Same question being asked of where has Lazarus been put? And then we get this amazing verse that we picked up on the video previously. Verse 35, and Jesus wept. Some people talk about this as being the uh, shortest verse in the Bible. It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. If we go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we're told to pray continuously. Pray continuously. Ah, it's two words, it's two words. But that's in the English. In the, in the Greek, the original Greek, Jesus wept is three words. Pray continuously in 1 Thessalonians is 2. But when we talk about Jesus wept, this isn't just a, a tear coming down his cheek. 
what this talks about and in the in the greek talks about a heavy burden being laid upon someone the weight and the enormity of an action that's happened that so stirs something not on the surface but in the very depth of your being when jesus wept we're talking about a sob a groan I remember the first time that I traveled to, it's actually the only time I've traveled to the Holy Lands and just outside of Jerusalem coming in, you pass through Bethany and there's the uh, church, it's called the Teardrop Church, Dominus Flavit, which is the Jesus Wept Church, it's that place, but it's not a place that is a little tear. We're talking a deep groan, an awareness of the effect that this person's passing has on Jesus. There's a depth of love that Jesus has for his friends that when they pass, he feels it. He's aware of it. But this also is the inroad into the miracle. It says here in verse 30 time, 39, by the time he gets there, there's a smell. You know, in the weather, in the way things are, in the situation, things are not going to be pleasant at the graveside. Verse 40, did I say to you that if you would believe, it says here, if I tell you the truth, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to his father and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He does what he does best. He interacts with his heavenly father. He speaks to God, his father, in prayer. And on the back of the prayer, verse 43, he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And we love the way that he uses Lazarus' name. He knows Lazarus, but he has to be specific because if he just shouted, come out, every single body in every grave on that hillside would have been opened up and everybody would have been raised. But Lazarus, come out. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 44, he came out with his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen, cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take it off, take this off of him, release him, let him go. It's a good way to mess up a funeral. It's a good way to mess up a funeral. I've many times prayed over dead bodies in funeral homes. One of the privileges I have is to go into these places and sort out and arrange funerals. And certainly when I was in my previous church, I got on really well with the undertakers. And whenever I used to pop in for a coffee, I often used to ask if there was anybody in the chapel of rest. And uh, Tony, who became a very good friend of mine, used to say who was in there. And I said, is it okay if I just go in and pray? Now, I think he just felt that, you know, as a minister, I would go in to this open casket and just pray whatever around them. But every time I went in, I would lay hands and I would pray that they would be raised again. Come back to life. That would have really messed up funerals, wouldn't it? You know, 
the phone call from the undertaker. You know, you got everything organised. We've got the limo sorted. But um, by the way, Jack is here now, and uh, he's ready for you to pick him up. But there's another side of things, isn't it? There's Lazarus coming out of the tomb. But what is he coming out from? And as he's coming out of this tomb, we think of this grave, but he is somewhere else. And he may very well be in the presence of God, in the glory, and suddenly he's being called back to earth. How annoyed may he have been? Hang about. I was restricted, I was limited, it was hard work on earth. Now I found myself in the place of my eternity. And how awful is this that I'm coming back? I remember there was a a lovely couple that I got to know. And this amazing couple used to visit us occasionally in Sidley. And uh, he was a fantastic preacher. He was a leader in one of the uh, denominational streams. A very passionate preacher, but his area of expertise and love was heaven. He loved preaching about heaven. He loved to preach about what was in store for us when our time on earth has come to the end. And then he was called home. And I remember his wife telling me the story of the fact that they were in their front room. And she got up and asked him if he wanted a cup of tea. And he said he did. So she headed out to the kitchen and she made the cup of tea. When she came back, she realized that God had called her husband home. He'd gone. And she sat down next to him and she held his hand. And she had some thoughts going through her mind. Do I call 999 and get the ambulance here? For them to put him onto the ground. Well, actually, if you call 999, you've got to be involved straight away yourself. Or shall I drink my tea? And shall I wait? And she said this, and I can remember her saying it. She said, you see, if I'd have brought him back somehow, oh, he would have been angry with me. He would have seen the glory that he's been preaching on for years and years and years. And now I've taken him from it and brought him back. A lovely saint. She said she waited until she finished her tea. And then she called 999. So Lazarus is back. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son. John 5, 25. There's a point in time when the dead will hear the voice of God. That's the day of resurrection. That is the day that is coming. And we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus is the first fruits. When he dies... And is resurrected. He is the evidence to each and every one of us that that is our story. If we are part of the story that Jesus talks about earlier in John 11, that we would believe. So on this day of remembrance, when we remember those who have given their lives, that we are recipients 
of the blessing, of the freedom of those who have sacrificed. It's a good day also to remember that we are called into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Access to that relationship is through faith and belief. And for those who believe, we never die. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will never die. And as Jesus says those words over Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus, come out. He takes your name and my name and says to each and every one of us who have believed, come out. Death cannot hold you. What a hope. What assurance we have. And on this Remembrance Sunday, it's good to remember that he's calling us to himself in this life, that he will call us out to himself in the life to come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have prepared us for an eternity with you. That our final place of resting is not on earth, but in your very presence in the glories of heaven. Help us to walk out as believers today. That we might shine light as you were light in this situation with Lazarus in Bethany. That we might shine light where we are that would draw others to you. That the promise that we have received of life eternal would be the experience of others too. We don't want to go to heaven alone. And as we remember that story of that awesome couple, help us to have in mind, Lord, the glories that you have prepared for us. And give us in our hearts, Lord, a passion to ensure that we don't get there on our own. But we bring with us those whom we love, those whom we live near, those whom we work with, our friends, our neighbors, our family, so that there indeed would be a mighty celebration on the day of resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.